Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Irish pubs found themselves with their doors closed in March 2020. In June, the pubs, which had the capacity to serve a substantial meal, defined by having a monetary value of €9, were allowed to open, under conditions of reduced capacity and social distancing. Pubs that do not serve food have been excluded from opening so far. The last call aims to bring some life back into these pubs through reminiscing about the history atmosphere and ambience each of the pubs have, as well as gaining an insight into what makes them each of them unique. We also explore how COVID-19 has impacted the pubs, their staff, families and customers, and how we can support these pubs in a difficult time for the industry. We would like to thank all the publicans, family members and business owners who have contributed to this project, and to the pubs who felt too angry, negative and downbeat to contribute. We hear you, we understand. And we support you. Tom Ryan of Phil Grimes Pub outlines how he acquired the bar and gives us a fascinating insight into some of the local history of Johnstown, where the pub is located in Waterford. This here is an insight into the typical tangents that would be heard from a high stool at the end of the bar in Phil Grimes on a regular basis prior to the pandemic. Sure. Um, I'm here, hopefully, um, I was hoping to celebrate 21 years in business this year, but uh, it's been a strange one there so uh, this year so the celebration will have to hold off for a while um, but previous to me um, the name of the pub uh, that that's still above the doors Phil Grimes um, who bought the pub in 1962 until I came along in 1999 and himself and his wife and his daughter ran the pub uh, for the previous 30 years or so 
and then uh, previous to that it was the Greyhound Bar or Sheridan's Greyhound Bar I should say for a short lived period of time and um, this, it was there was a, an old spinster had the pub a namesake of mine uh, uh, Mrs Ryan and uh, around the turn of the century it was Lacey's uh, which was like most of the pubs at the time a grocer stroke pub so most pubs had a, a secondary kind of side of business whether it was just selling bags of coal and paraffin or um, bags of slack and then maybe the next pub up the road sold a bit of hardware or a bit of animal feed or pig feed or some of the pubs which I believe used to have sell uh, potato uh, potato skins, bags of potato skins to feed pigs as well um, so uh, it's a pub, the building itself is a pub um, nearly 200 years and the, the original part of the building is a little bit older than that so it's about it's about 250 years old uh, now there's lots of bits and pieces built on over the years and bits and, and, and whatnot but the area it's in here was a little town in itself Johnstown hence the name so it had a big mill here uh, it had a huge the gas works for Waterford and uh, South Kilkenny was in uh, in the, on the street here um, and the original Waterford Crystal Factory when it went to uh, bigger production was in Johnstown here and then probably the busiest thing of all was the city and county infirmary uh, before the Arkeane Hospital was built, the TB that was a TB hospital. It, it was built in the fifties, and then it 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 w went on to become the A and E and everything in Arkeane. But up till that, the the emergency ward and operations and was in the infirmary here. So it was kind of a little hive of a of of a town outside of a town outside the walls of Waterford City. Um, so there was vegetable shops, there was a farrier, there was a blacksmith uh, as well and most of the houses on the street, the windows have gone back to household size windows but they would have been in, uh, initially uh, shops of different different sorts and when the, the medieval uh, walls uh, were, were, were relaxed, um, uh, the I suppose post-Cromwellian time, I suppose a bit after medieval times, the uh, the the security was relaxed or whatever. The, the, uh, I suppose during British rule, the um, entrance, one of the busiest entrances inside the city, was the entrance over Johnstown Bridge into the. They knocked down a part of the city wall just at the bridge there, and that's where they where the the street is. Uh, was a busy street going into the city, you know, going in. A uh, couple of great stories on actually the entrance to the city, to the to the city. There, there was um, a sally port there, which was which allowed the, the ships there, the, or the boats with low hulls, to come inside on low tide inside the city walls, and then, um, you know, for safety or whatever during times of of attack and uh, and then the. One of my favourite stories, uh, whether it is true or not, it doesn't really <laughs> matter, uh, is uh, is that when Crotty, uh, the highwayman, when he was hung, drawn and quartered, he um, his head seemingly for a period of time was hanging above the entrance there. And uh, uh, the dairies, a lot of the dairy maids and 
the, I suppose the horse and carts that were bringing the, uh, the milk into the city uh, uh, was, had to pass underneath the arch and Crotty's head was above it and seemingly drops of his of his blood were, were, were dropped into the pails of, of milk so there's probably a bit of Crotty's blood in a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> here in Waterford anyway that's, they, that's just the way the story goes anyway um, so that's so in recent years I suppose the pub um, this, there's been a few ups and downs like every business and um, but uh, overall it's been it's given a roof over our head um, and provided a, a livelihood for myself and uh, family and um, yeah that's a little bit of history of the pub I'm probably missing a few things out but brilliant about, uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able bit, to i got a bit sidetracked yeah we'll be able to put that but i think <laughs> this is the thing like when i'm asking you to describe phil grimes pub this is exactly what phil grimes pub is to to myself and Owen. it's it's coming in for a pint and leaving with three or four stories in your back pocket tom proceeds to explain why he kept the name of the pub and how it slowly evolved into the pub we fell in love with that inspired us to start our snowcast journey well uh, first of all um the pub had a good name, you know, previous to me coming in, and that's one of the reasons why I felt very strongly it was important to keep um, the name, you know, Phil Grimes. Um, yeah, it had a huge sporting tradition because Phil Grimes was on the 59 team, the last team, uh, the last Waterford team to win the All Ireland. Um, but it had a lot of history and a bit of, um, I suppose, a bit of soul to it and that. So, what do you call a pub? Another gener- another name, you know, or Ryan's. There's enough pub called pubs called Ryan's in the country, so um, it was a bit of a no-brainer to keep the name, and that kind of uh, set the tone, I suppose, uh, to the pub initially. Um, now there was quite there was an older clientele, like most of the business would have been an older clientele at the time, so a lot of those people have passed or. Um, are you know are, are not pub goers anymore you know there's um so there's been a few generation changes perhaps um and in recent years i suppose since the last recession there in 07 or 08 you know the pub probably you know business was quiet and a lot of um a lot of people decided to go maybe back to cottage small industry and one of those was was food and beverage and there was a bit of a strike up then with people maybe that were were looking for something to do after the recession or um they uh they went to the, uh, a few of the small brewers cra- uh, um, jo- uh, came came along from a period where there was only guinness and heineken really on the whole island um now you have and bulmers i suppose with the cider but so now you have the bones of maybe 35 or 40 brewers in the republic and maybe another 15 or 20 in the north so there's a huge amount of those um that i said that i said i would try and get their products and um thankfully that helped the business to give it a little bit of identity again and um and it, it brought a good clientele people that were into to drinking the product or tasting the product for the flavor as opposed to just trying to slam a few a few drinks into them as quick as possible so it encouraged and it suited the pub as well um, and 
it actually sti- stimulated my own brain for knowledge of beer and um, and and various uh, I suppose um, types of flavors and everything. So uh, that's that's probably in, in the most recent years that's been the way the business has gone. Um, now we'll probably try and have to when we get going again reinvent things a bit and try and innovate. Um, Mellet's Emporium has a rich history in Swinford, County Mayo, as Marie Mellet outlines. Yeah, sure. So we're here since 1797. So that's 223 years ago. Um, Very little has changed in the pub in in those years, apart from in the mid 80s, my dad would have done a massive revamp on the pub where the front of the pub would have been a shop like many pubs were. And he actually told me recently when he'd done it, people thought he was crazy. He thought that that was going to be the end of Mellet's. But it was the opposite. We have boomed since then and business has been good. Uh, we don't do food. We're a pub pub. Um, won't get a, ho- a whole lot of tourists because we're not on the Wild Atlantic Way. So we'd have a really good local a local clientele base. Um, great staff. So we have five members of staff and they're all very loyal to us. And one barman has been with us for almost 30 years now. Marie here goes on to explain how recent consumer trends inform the central role the pub has in the community. As a social place, it's not just a place for points. What's interesting in, in recent years, are, or especially this year and last year, our number three beer seller is non-alcoholic beer. So that'll tell you that the pub isn't all about alcohol. It's a place that people come and they come together. And we've just got a brand new shiny coffee machine. And I'm really excited to, I think that that's going to take off hugely as well. Because house parties are fine, but people like to come out and meet each other. And you don't have the stress of meeting in somebody's house. They come together here. It's warm. It's inviting. It's welcoming. We've a massive open fire. That's great in the winter time. So, yeah, it's kind of an all round central focal point of the town, I suppose. Marie elaborates on the community involvement Mellis has had in Swinford and tells us about some of the history associated with the pub, including a long history of staying open through thick and thin. Yeah, well, I suppose we've always been a central part of the community because we've been here for so long. Um, we, we can name about 200 staff that have worked here um, for our family over the past maybe 150 years. Um, so we're a huge source of employment in the town and um, we have an estate agent next door and uh, just a recently closed news agency shop on the other side of the pub. So employment is huge, but also so much fundraising and we give a lot of sponsorship to the various clubs and um, the sports clubs, especially around the town. And um, we'll say in our local, we have a local festival here every August and we will give huge support to that, um, both financially and we'd also kind of do a marquee outside the front of our pub as well. So we wouldn't really get much business out of it. It would be packed, but it would be more something for the whole community to um, to enjoy. We think community is everything. As I said, you know, lo- the locals are our business. We don't really cater to tourists because we don't see a lot of them. Um, so we want to provide a space, kind of a nice, a warm and welcoming space for everyone. Yeah. No, no, it is actually because I have our, all of our bar diaries dating back to around 1900. So I look through them because I have nothing better to be doing <laughs> these days. Look through them all and I can't find any period of closure and uh, maybe a week here and there where somebody would have passed away. Um, but apart from that, we have never, ever been closed for such a long time. But you know, like we're a family of fighters and actually my great granddad cheated death twice where he was supposed to get on board a ship to America twice. And both times as he was 
about to board was called back to Swinford for some reason or another and both of those ships were sunk at sea. So he was a survivor and I'll be a survivor too because the pub certainly isn't going to die with me and I'll do everything in my power to keep it going. Eva Brennan, whose father owns the Kilty Lane in County Kildare, explains their situation for us. Sure. Um, the pub is in a village called Kiltail. It kind of straddles the border between Dublin, Kildare and Wicklow. Um, my dad has owned it for 31 years. Before that, it was owned by the Wolf Tones, so it's kind of well known for that. Um, it's a two-storey, I think it's 150 years old, the building, um, and it's really a bar. Um, we have a snug, there's a function room. There's upstairs rooms and we um, have, when I say we, I mean my family, we have um, music lessons there on a Monday and Friday night with local Kyoto's groups. Um, but generally it's kind of a very quiet enough bar. There wouldn't be a lot of passing trade. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of cars going by. Where the pub is, it's between the N7 and the N81. So there's not a lot of traffic. So that's kind of what the pub is. We then look into how central the Kilty then is to the local village, as well as some proof behind the picturesque settings she describes. It is, yeah, it's kind of a very community base. Like there's a community centre next door to the pub, it's attached to the pub, it's not, we don't own it. Um, there's a church in the village and that's it. There is no shop, there's no takeaway, there's no other pub, there's no, there, there are businesses, but they're, you know, they're not regular retail or trading businesses. Um, so it's very quiet. Um, Monday to Friday, you, you could have one fella in, you could have a hundred people in. You just, you never really know. And at the weekends, you might have parties or functions on. Um, but my dad even described it on all the local subscribers as an owl lads pub. So it's kind of an open fire, stand around the fire having the crack at the end of the evening. You'd get people calling in on their way home for work, from work for one pint, or you might have local lads coming up for a pint and then going home. Um, but it's just kind of a social contact area for them been used in films um, this is my father and then more recently blood on virgin media uh, was made in the pub so it's kind of sought out for its old world style and then proximity to dublin as well it's quite close to dublin if it describes why she feels the publicans have been left down and why not all pubs can offer food as a viable option I think, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm speaking for myself now, I'm not really yeah. speaking for my dad on this, um, but my dad was the chair of Kildare Vintners for a long time. But I think, you know, public perception, and I would see myself as a member of the public, is that the VFI or the LVA, not so much, but it's kind of all around the smoking and the drink driving and, you know, the poor publicans. And really the publicans who are on the ground and, and working in the bars themselves, you know, they're just trying to keep their business going from day to day. And I often say, because I'm in PR and marketing, I often say, I wish the, v the, the VFI would hire a really good PR person. Because I think, you know, the, the people that they're putting out in front of the cameras, I don't think they really represent what the publicans think themselves. Um, and then it's kind of a larger town publican or it's a city publican. And then the public maybe have this attitude towards publicans. They don't really like them and they think they're greedy. Um, and I think a lot of Irish people, a friend of mine said to me that Irish people love the pub but hate the publicans. And that's kind of, you know, the attitude that, that comes across, especially with around the reopening of pubs. Um, and I think one of the things I struggled with on that tweet, which I didn't, I just, it was just an observation I made. I didn't, wasn't getting into a big thing. I wasn't looking for suggestions either, but um, people were saying, well, why don't you get a takeaway to deliver or why don't you get a van to pull up? Um, I think people who are saying that are probably from towns or from city even. They don't really, they don't really understand the pub culture in their small village. And we live around the lake in Blessington. Um, 
the pubs in Blessington might be a bit busier, but the pubs in Valleymount, Ballynockin and Lacken, there's no takeaway, there's no shop, there's nothing else, there's a church and that's it. So like, it's kind of, uh, why, why can't you bring in a takeaway? The nearest takeaway, the nearest good takeaway is 10 kilometers away in Nace. So people aren't going to come up for one pint to order food that will arrive cold, greasy, they don't want it. And then the publican has to deal with throwing it out. So it's, there's no real easy solution. I had been in touch with some food truck guys that I know from a previous job I worked at, um, and they would love to come and serve food out of the hatch, but they'd need a guaranteed minimum. And like I said before, you just don't have the passing trade. If it would make sense for us to do food in the Kilty Mint, we would have been doing it years ago, but you just don't have the guaranteed trade there. Ed Cal from Tully's Bar in Carlow gives us a look into how he sees Tully's as a bar and sets the scene for a bar set in one of Ireland's larger towns. Um, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, I suppose I don't think about it too often because when you're in the pubs, you're, you're busy running them. So you don't have time to really think about what the pubs are. They just are the pubs. But um, Tully's Bar Carlo, I mean, it's a family operation. My mother runs it, my grandfather before, and I, I work for my mother effectively. So I do the, the donkey work and she shows up whenever there's a real problem. But uh, the pub is a, always has been, I suppose the ethos we, get, we, we strive for is that it's, somewhere where everybody is happy. So families in for lunch, students in for a couple of pints after a lecture, um, couples coming in on a Friday night, groups of friends getting together on a Saturday afternoon, and then everybody and their mother and uncle in on Saturday night, you know, and that's, that's, that was Carlo and always has been. Uh, it's, it's always had a reputation for good food and good music. Um, and I suppose that's the same kind of feel and atmosphere we tried to bring to Waterford when we opened up down there, was a pub where everybody felt comfortable there wasn't any kind of cliqueiness to it. I, I hate walking into a pub where you feel like you've walked into a private member's kind of bar or something like that where the music goes down and everyone turns and instantly you feel like, oh, Jesus, I've, I've made a mistake here. So the bars should always, and we strive to be just a good welcoming place where you come in, you're comfortable with whoever you're in with, but you're also comfortable with everybody else who's there too. And you could have a conversation with everybody or anybody. And that's the, that's the kind of the dream. It's not always achieved, but that's what you aim for. Ed explains why Tully's is passionate about supporting independent craft beers and the importance for publicans to offer a diverse experience to their clientele. Yeah, well, there's, there's a number of reasons why, I suppose. Um, when I got back involved in the bar in a, in a real way after college uh, in Carlow, before we, we opened in Waterford, um, I'd, I'd been to the States and I'd been to a few other places with, with work and different things. And I, I got into craft beer myself through that more so than through the bars when I was working part-time in college or anything like that. But I realized it was something I enjoyed and it was, you know, something I could be kind of passionate about, something I could speak about. And so when we got back, when I got back working in Carlow originally, I was looking at, we had three Heineken taps. We had two Carlsberg, two Smithics, three Guinness taps. And there was no need. I mean, we weren't a super pub in, in Dublin city center. Do you know what I mean? So I said, okay, well, we need one Heineken tap. We need one Guinness tap we freed up 11 lines and we started putting on more interesting beers. And it just, we, 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 I kind of, we hit it right at the right time with the kind of growth of smaller uh, independent craft breweries, like 12 acres was just kicking off at the time. And they're four or five miles out the road from us. Like Paddy would have drank in the bar all the way up from the age of 18, maybe a little younger, but definitely from the age of 18. And, you know, so it was brilliant to link in with the likes of him who, who knows the bar and knows what we're about. And, the, you know, it was lovely to be able to, his beers on the countertop 
Uh, it was great to get in with O'Hara's again. Uh, originally, they would have been in the bar long before my time uh, when they started in Carlotown. Um, um, but we all know about how difficult it is to maintain your position on a cap on a counter when the big boys want to get a new product in. So unfortunately, he O'Hara's had like a really good offer, but back in the day, it, it didn't stick. But we've had them on the counter now two taps for the last five or six years. Um, and, you know, the, the, the industry grew right as we, I was getting interested in the business. And so it, it just felt like the right kind of industry to support each other in that we're a small operation. Most craft breweries are smaller again. And that link that you can phone or text a brewer and be like, well, what's going in the keg? What, what, have, you, what have you got going in, uh, on a brew today? Can you stick a couple of kegs out for me? You, you don't get that with a macro operator where you just ring a 1800 number and you're on hold and then you get through to some operator and you place your order for kegs. It's a very kind of soulless, passionless kind of a thing. Whereas you could spend your entire week talking to different brewers and talking about beer and what's coming and what's somebody else doing and was it any good? and Was yours really as good as you thought it was going to be? You know, it's what makes the, the job that bit more interesting. So I suppose for me, it was all about I, when I came back to Carlo, I wanted somewhere where I could drink beer that was, you know, a bit more interesting, a bit more, um, bit more of a flavor profile whatever else and the only place I could do it was in my own pub so to be really frank we started doing craft in Carlo because I liked it and I wanted somewhere to be able to drink it um, but it just it just worked in that look it was also the right thing to do it gave us a really strong position uh, as a, our, our brand was then craft you know was only one place to go in Carlo to get 11 different beers any time of the day or night seven days a week um, and we stuck with that through thick and thin and it's, it's definitely working for us and it, it was just an obvious move then when we came to Waterford. We, we knew that we only needed one tap of Guinness. We only needed one Heineken. And we probably knew that we didn't maybe need a Budweiser. We didn't really need a Carlsberg. So that freed up a couple more taps. So we, we have 14 lines in, in Waterford at the moment pouring. Um, and I think for us, not having the, the big fridges of really niche bottles and cans is, is a struggle because we'd love to be able to do that particular piece of it as well. But there are so many really good off licenses doing that so well that the only kind of differential we can offer is fresh draft beer. And so that's what we focus on. So we've never kind of gone down the road of huge amounts of um, can and bottle because it, it has never really worked for us. We need to, you'd need to put in a wall of fridges to kind of have enough of an offer to, to compete well um, on it. And it's better to stick with the beer, keep it moving, keep it fresh and keep people interested. Ed then explains how they approached taking over a bar in Watford's cultural quarter and why it was a natural fit for the Tully's family. 2015, uh, December 2015, we would have um, reopened as Tully's down there. So it would have obviously McLaughlin's for years and years. Um, and we didn't, I feel we didn't do a huge amount to the bar. I mean, we did work out the back and we put in new um, kind of facilities in terms of toilets and stuff. But that was actually separate to the, the original bar itself. Um, so we certainly didn't change the layout or the feel of it at all. I mean, I, I think we, we were really true to keeping, because we love, I, there's something very special when you walk in the door of Tully's and Waterford. It's just a warm kind of embracing space. It's, it's so small and tight. You kind of feel, oh yeah, Jesus, this is, this is magic. And I mean, we, we, we got that feeling the first day I walked into the pub. I was like, oh yeah, you don't need to change anything here. This is perfect. It's just, there's something about the layout, the way the bar comes around to you. And, it, it's, it's really warm and inviting. So we just focus on new toilets and everyone loves a clean toilet. You can't, can't highlight that enough. 
and a, a little beer garden at the back because from our experiences in Carlo, we knew how important a nice beer garden is. People just enjoy being outside when they have a beer. It's, I don't know what the science is, but it definitely works. It t- makes it taste better. From Phil Grimes and Waterford to Mellet's Emporium and Mayo, across to the Kilty Linen Kildare and back to Tully's Bar, Waterford via Tully's Bar in Carlow. Next, we hear about Mother Max Bar in Limerick, as described by Mike McMahon. Oh, it's madness. Complete and utter madness. Um, yeah, it, it, I suppose, just to, to put, it, put it wholly in context, myself and my brother bought this bar in 2015. It's probably one of the most iconic buildings in the city. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely round shape. It's actually called the Round House. Um, big bay windows. Um, it, it's, not a full, it's not a full semicircle. It's about, about a quarter of a circle, but it, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, so in, in the bar, I mean, we, we, we're, we're dominated by the bar counter. That's, uh, and then we have a, we have a smaller, smaller room in the back, which is, which is called Peggy's Parlor, um, named after my, my late mother. Um, and that, that sits maybe about 30 people. Um, and that's a, it's, it's more a whiskey bar than, than anything else. But I suppose since since we started in 2015, one of the things we wanted to do was to 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 bring on the craft beer scene in Limerick. Um, the food scene was 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 tremendous. Um, we have a huge amount of of local food producers and a huge amount of of internationally recognised food producers and chefs in in the city. And it just kind of made sense that the, the whole beer side of it would come along as well. And yeah, look, we, we've, we've done pretty well out of it, you know. Um, if I'm being quite honest, we, we've done exceptionally well. Um, and we have, oh my goodness, at this stage, we have nine draft uh, craft beers that are either rotational or, or seasonal. Seasonal being it might stay for a month or it might stay for two months. And then we have um, four permanent what are, what are considered craft beer taps um, on uh, three of those would be would be from the local brew Trinity City, um, and the other one then would be uh, from Kinnegar, um, up in up in up in Donegal, and we're we're, we're, quite, we're quite I suppose we're quite in love with Scraggy Bay, and it's probably probably one of the best IPAs in the country um, consistently over the last number of years. Um, uh, prior to 2015, I didn't really drink it, so I can't say what it was like before then. But uh, but since then it's been pretty good, um, yeah. And I mean we 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 have an eclectic mix of of, of customers. Um, you know, we we don't fit into a, an age group or an age bracket. We we've everyone from eighteen year olds up to up to eighty year olds. Um, and I think that the general consensus, if you, if you're willing to sit at the counter, um, and you're willing to open yourself up to the ridicule and the scrutiny that only an Irish bar can bring, um, then you know you we're happy to have you in. You know, and we we've a bit of crack. Look. To be honest, we enjoy we enjoy we enjoy a bit of crack. You'll see it on social media. We're we're, we're fairly active on social media. Um, you know, we, we we enjoy a bit of fun. We like a bit of crack, and we we actually like taking the the piss out of our, our own Vincent Galuli. You'll see we do a lot of stuff with him because he's just he's down from Castlery in Roscommon. He's mad as a brush, um, and yeah, he's just up for up for a laugh, you know. And I think that sums us up in all of forty five seconds. Mike tells us how Mother Max and breweries have worked together to support each other and why this relationship is so important to both pubs and breweries. I, well, I, 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 so, uh, yeah, I think yeah, the, the very short answer is yes. You know, if we, if we can support, if we can support small indigenous workforces and small indigenous businesses, let's do it, right? But I, I think what we, what we, we forget quite a lot, right? I've, I've eight staff, including myself, I've eight staff in the bar. There are breweries out there that have less staff than that, you know, that are, that are making fantastic beer and shipping it all, all over the country, right? 
And I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing when we actually start to put that into, into context. You know, there, there are breweries out there that's similar to the, to the bar. Basically, if there wasn't people drinking beer, we, they'd, they'd be done. You know, if there wasn't people enjoying their beer, they'd be done. Their, their families would be, would be done. I mean, the beer that we sell puts the kids to school, puts them through college. You know, so it's, it's very, very important that we support it. But that support is, is, is two ways. Because, I mean, if, if you consider one, one of the things we did, while, while in lockdown, we, we, we got onto some of the breweries that we deal with quite regularly, and we said to them, I want to I teach all my guys, including myself, how to brew beer. Right? So we, we ran a home brew challenge just for the staff. And each, each one of the staff was paired up with a different brewery. And, and you had the likes of Kinnegar, White Hag, Western Herd, which are, which are in the middle of nowhere in Kinmaley, County Clare. And Trilly City, who, who probably everyone knows because Mr. Steve Keane is, is all, over the, all over the papers and all over the, the, the airwaves. And the big boys in 8 Degrees, you know, who were recently bought by Irish Distillers. Um, and then you're, you're into the likes of Rascals, Yellow Belly. And then you, you, you have Guinness Open Gate. Um, and for Guinness Open Gate to get involved, it was, you know what, they, they, they talk the talk a lot of the time. They say that they, they want to support and they want to, they're, they're part of the craft community they were the first brewery to come back and say, let's do it. You know, in fact, actually, I'm going to say there's probably two, there's two breweries there and never actually said they wanted to do this. We just kind of visited them, collected some materials and then left, <laughs> you know. So they never said, let's do it, but we just said, yeah, you're doing it anyway. So, but yeah, so they've supported us. And I mean, they've supported the mental health of the staff in, in, in going through this to try and keep us occupied and keep us kind of, I suppose, keep us upskilled because, you know, we sell beer. If we know how beer is made, we can sell it a little bit better. We can talk about it. You know, what, what are the flavor profiles? What causes that? You know what I mean? And, and it, it's gas, right? Because it's only when you make mistakes brewing the beer, you can really appreciate what a bad beer is. You know, and the off flavors that some of the lads have generated are, are just phenomenal, right? You know, you, 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 I, as I said, if we could figure out how they did it, we could, we could bottle them and kit them, right? We'd make, we'd make a fortune selling off flavors. You know, but, um, you know it just, it's, 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 look, it's great. And it, as I said, it's a two-way street. Um, most certainly, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's very important that we support each other, um, especially where, where we are right now, because it's, 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 it's difficult. It's hard times. Fergal Chambers of the Four Provinces Bar and Brewery gives us a bit of an insight into how they got the bar up and running and also gives us a flavour of the type of bar that they have in Crumlin and Dublin. Okay, so we're a new enough pub. We took over an existing um, uh, pub that had been closed for five years. Uh, we had a brewery. We have a brewery behind the pub that was, that was, that was uh, opened about six years ago. Um, we brew for our local businesses like um, on trade and off trade. It was mainly a keg beer, so obviously this, the closure of the pubs was a big deal. Um, and then we start, start, we opened the pub about a year ago, uh, serving uh, pub, uh, you know our own beer into the pub. It's a traditional music pub or folk music pub. It's very much a community pub. Um, even though it's uh, it's it's an it's an Irish speaking pub or an English speaking pub. So it's a bilingual pub. Our staff are, are both are bilingual uh, most of the time. And we encourage community groups to kind of meet in our pub. Um, I suppose uh, the way I see it is you're trying to get as many people involved as possible and not cynically just to have them in drinking, but it's also important that uh, you, you trade, as you know yourself, you trade on your name and you trade on your ethos a lot of the time. So um, 
people do you know shop around for value but at the same time i think people like to know their local pub is interesting and i think we we definitely start we, we definitely do that with our own brewery and the traditional music side of things and the irish language side of things so we have a lot of we have a lot of irish speakers in the area as well there's a lot of guys called now like it's it's a, it, the, the area itself where we're in is a very uh, working class area um but then it's also you know just on the border of a very very middle class area and i hate using the word class and my apologies to anybody who hates them terms but i'm supposed to try to describe it as best i can and yeah we've got a great response and of course there's a few people going ah oh, the craft beer or you know it's too strong or too we're not so uh, our whole ethos is like it's definitely affordable um the point is a fiver we've we support only irish companies as much as possible so for example um, all small batch companies who need our business, we don't deal at all with. Um, we do have Guinness, as I say that we do have Heineken, but um, but we deal majority. We try to support small breweries, small distilleries, um, and it's worked well for us. Uh, we've been able to get decent prices, and everybody's been happy. I suppose we deal directly usually with with the distillery themselves or with the brewery themselves. So we were able to, with with the contacts we have. So. Fergal then gives us an insight into their attitude towards local beer and how it is a driving force behind the success of the pub. Uh, yeah, look, we're 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 trying to do something different. You know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you know, the local pub supports you supports the local." Actually, they don't. A lot of the time, they don't support any jobs really, except for the people working there. Uh, I think the, the 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 local pub should be actually buying locally as well. Um, so buying local beer uh, brewed in the area. Um, which is a big kind of a, I suppose it's a, it's a topic in itself, but uh, we don't call it craft beer. We call it local beer. We don't ever use the word craft because all, all it is is a local, a local business person, a local person with a family, kids and all the rest of it trying to make a living. So once you pair it down to that uh, and take away a lot of the, the nonsense people associate with, with, with craft beer. Um, so to, to, to kind of cut that out, we just use the word local. We then get an insight into how the locals and the locality of the pub has moulded its fabric. But yeah, we 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 a very interesting pub, uh, a lot of characters in it, uh, a lot of locals, a lot of local dubs. And the, it's in Crum, I suppose, in the border with Kimmage. Um, yeah, Kimmage, is a, uh, Kimmage and Crum are very, very old areas in Dublin. A lot of the inner city people back at the turn of the century would take it out of the city and, and put out the Crum in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and they were given houses and gardens and um, there's a really strong community there so it's really trying to break into that and uh, the fact that I'm a volunteer man from down the road and hurled against Crumlin, very very good hurling team um, you know it was good it was a great intro for me through the GAA and stuff like that as well so we used that as well as well we tried to you know show that we're you know we're blow-ins but we're also trying to serve the community and do something good you know Thanks for tuning in to part one of The Last Call, where we get an insight into these amazing pubs. We see what gave them life and made them an integral part of their respective communities. In part two, we'll explore how COVID has affected them and what we can do for them going forward, as well as some messages of hope for the future. You can support us in delivering more content like this by heading over to patreon.com forward slash snugcast and becoming a patron of the pod. We're also on at Snowcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in, guys.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.